The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hey, did you hear there's a Barbie movie coming out this summer? Did you bring your rollerblades? I literally go nowhere without them. Yeah, that would explain the hot pink invasion of the internet for weeks now. And Barbie's got all the makings of a summer blockbuster. Big name stars, Margot Robbie plays Barbie, Ryan Gosling is Ken, and a viral marketing campaign that has everyone talking. It's also got something else going for it a potentially massive, multi-generational audience of people who have many memories and strong feelings about this 64-year-old doll, including the producers on the Big Take podcast team. I do remember one year for my birthday, someone gave me this Barbie that had hair that changed when it got wet. So you could dip her hair into the sink and it would turn blue and pink. And I thought that was really cool. I am extremely excited for the movie. I had the best of both worlds with Mattel toys. My parents bought me both Hot Wheels with the orange racetrack and a boatload of Barbies. Sometimes I played with them together. Uh, Other times, depending on how I was feeling, you know, I would just play with one or the other. Most times though, my heart's desire drove me to those orange racetracks. I loved Barbie as a kid. I particularly loved dressing her up. My friend had the Barbie dream house. I loved to fill up the pool when I was at my friend's house and we'd have them go swimming. I did have fun as I got older cutting her hair and then I realized it didn't grow back. I never really liked Barbies when I was a kid. One birthday someone gave me a Barbie with rollerblades and I was like, eh, okay, but it seemed expensive. So I was like, okay, nice. I think after a rough couple of years, you know, with the pandemic and everything, it's really nice to just have a movie where you can go in and think about nothing. It's fun, it's flirty, it's colorful, and overall it's Barbie. Like, that's the best kind of summer movie that you could ask for. But Barbie's maker Mattel isn't just hoping for a hit in theaters. Barbie sales have fluctuated over the years. The company's struggled to make this all-important but aging product line relevant today. And for a lot of parents, that original Barbie aesthetic, the permanent high heels, the pink convertible, the dream house, is the opposite of what they want their kids to emulate and aspire to be. Bloomberg's Kelly Gilblum writes in Business Week that one aim of the movie is to get those skeptics to see Mattel's reimagined Barbie in a new light and hopefully turn them into customers, all while not doing anything to disappoint Barbie's intensely loyal fans. It was always pretty risky to try to put a movie out about the doll because it's so personal and the emotions are so heightened around her that it was going to backfire.
I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, Barbie's high-stake debut on the pink carpet. Kelly, I think if you have an internet connection, it's been pretty impossible to avoid Barbie movie hype. And I think a lot of people, and I'm one of them, thought, oh, this will be a fun summer movie. But you and our colleague, Thomas Buckley, write in this story that this movie is really important and there's a lot at stake. Why is this such a big, important moment for Mattel? When you think about how the company is structured, their biggest brand and their biggest source of revenue is Barbie. This is a brand they invented in the 1950s, has been the best-selling doll of all time. It's completely iconic, and it's kind of the way Barbie goes, the way Mattel goes in terms of how the company fares. But Barbie's sort of interesting in that the way she was invented was to have an incredibly personal connection to the little girls that play with her and that they're supposed to envision themselves as adults in playing with Barbies. With this reputation of the doll at stake, they really have to get it right. They really have to show that they can connect with that customer again, that they can be something like a role model. Kelly, you said that Mattel's biggest product is the Barbie doll and has been for a really long time. How much money is Barbie worth to Mattel? Barbie is worth about a third of its overall revenue. At its peak, it was close to $2 billion a year. It's gone all the way down to $900 million in recent years. But it is the biggest sales driver of the company and probably the most profitable item that they sell. And as you say... It's kind of come down, and, and some of that has to do, I guess, with the pandemic when toy sales were just gangbusters for everything. Over the past few years, Barbie's had ups and downs. They did a big makeover of the doll in 2016. Sales went up. So when the pandemic happened and there was an overall boom in toy sales, they were well positioned for that, and sales skyrocketed. But then in recent years, there's been inflation, there's been economic malaise, and things have kind of fallen back down and normalized again. Kelly, you mentioned that the company had reimagined Barbie. Why did they feel like they needed to reinvent her or change the way she was? So the way Barbie has traditionally been, you know, has been very close to the roots of her invention in the 1950s. And it was based on a gold-digging comic strip character. And she was kind of like this archetype of a bombshell blonde Marilyn Monroe type of figure. And they pretty much stayed close to that for most of her history. You know, there were some studies that said, like, you know, if you put Barbie into a real-life human form, she wouldn't have enough space in her midsection to fit her intestines. She wouldn't even be able to lift her head up. It was just very preposterous, the kind of anatomy that she had. And so the reimagining of it was to make it more realistic and also appealing to a broader group of young girls. If the doll is meant to be a projection of their future selves, you just cannot imagine playing adult with a doll that just will never be you. And Kelly, one of the things in the story that you write about is that as Barbie seemed no longer kind of relevant 
and girls no longer saw themselves in Barbie, other doll makers moved in to claim that cultural relevance. Yeah, they really kind of lost their way, the Mattel executives did, I would say, starting in the early 2000s. That's when the real crisis for Barbie began. It started because they had a disastrous acquisition that cost a lot of money, and a CEO who's a great steward of Barbie left the company as a result of that acquisition going sour. And so they had other people come in, and they just weren't as good at connecting. They've done well under male leadership before, but it was hard, I guess, for those particular men that were CEOs at the time to connect with that young girl mindset for some reason. As these years were going on, they had competitors come in, which wasn't like the first time that had ever happened, but they weren't able to respond to it in a good way. The first was an actual Mattel designer uh, who worked on Barbie, created a new design for some dolls called Bratz. They were more diverse. They were cool. I remember those dolls when my daughters were young. They were just everywhere. Bratz were the doll. Oh, yeah. They were huge. They got to a billion dollars in sales pretty quickly, which took Barbie 40 years. Mattel just got involved in lawsuits and that. I got totally mired and arguing over that rather than trying to address their own product and putting their attention there. And at the same time, you know, they also had this license. They've had a long-term partnership with Disney to create toys based on their intellectual property, Disney, you know, franchises. And one of them was Disney princesses. So they were making these Disney princesses dolls also making Barbies, and they were kind of competing against each other within the company even. And the Disney princess dolls were doing extremely well. The princess movies were doing extremely well. And I think it just caused further atrophying of their focus on Barbie. Eventually, what happened was Disney wasn't super happy. Hasbro, their, you know, longtime rival for many, many decades, was doing also well by making really big movies based on their toys. Mostly Transformers was the first one. And so they argued to Disney they should get the Disney princess license taken away. And that just showed how badly Barbie was performing once they didn't have those doll sales figures to compensate for the Barbie losses anymore. So it was just a lot of things that were going on at the same time. And they were really, they really lost the way because they were trying to follow their competitors. And then under this era, they were just trying to copy Disney princesses. They were trying to copy brats instead of trying to do their own thing and, and stay in tune with what girls actually cared and talked about. What partly spurred on the body makeover of Barbie in 2016 was market research that Mattel did, internal research, that showed moms hated Barbies. They would not buy them for their daughters. They just wouldn't do it. That partly has eased as they have done a lot to improve their image. I wouldn't say they've 100% fixed this issue. So there's still some research out there that's showing people are still associating it the old way, no matter how, you know, much they've done with the actual new toys. How does the Barbie of today look different from that original Barbie? 
So the Barbie of today comes in many different body types, many different skin tones, many different hair color, hair type, eye color. As possible, you can be with the limits of manufacturing. They're broadening it out to include various types of physical abilities that people have. They have Barbies in a wheelchair. They have Barbies with hearing aids. They have Barbies who have limb differences. They have all sorts of different types of Barbies, and they will probably continue to widen that. And has that sparked a Barbie revival in sales that all kinds of different girls can see themselves, see their future selves in Barbie in a way that they couldn't before? Yes, it's definitely sparked a revival in sales. I wouldn't say they're at their past glory again. The peak sales was in 1997 when they had that perfect 80s working girl or 90s, you know, big hair Barbie that was really appealing to little girls. So they've not quite got to that level again, but it definitely has improved things. And also with the different body types of Barbies, you have to keep in mind that a big portion of sales of Barbie is the accessories. So the clothes, the house, the car, those were all designed for the old Barbie body type. So the new Barbie, you kind of have to get new stuff to go along with that. So it's kind of had a, an additional boost of their ability to sell a new car that the curvy Barbie can fit into and, and the new clothes that she can wear. Since Barbie sales haven't rebounded enough, they're hoping that this movie is going to rekindle America's love of Barbie and start selling lots more of them? Yeah, exactly. If you look at the history of Barbie, the times when the sales have been really good and everything's been going really well for the company at large is when they've created something that they kind of call a cultural moment. When the space race was on, they made Barbie like an astronaut and she was one of the first women, you know, to go to space. And just kind of keeping up with like these things that create a huge conversation and everybody's talking about the doll. That buzz is usually enough to keep people interested, even if it's sometimes criticism or negativity. And that's exactly what they're trying to do with this movie and why you see the marketing of it is insane. They are trying to make this doll just a subject of conversation again and create this kind of cultural moment that make girls feel like this is it. This is now. This is the cool thing. After the break, how the Barbie movie came together. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com. 
I remember I had about three huge boxes full of Barbies that were gifted to me and I was not particularly interested in them. I remember the funniest part was each Barbie would be used about once to have their hair chopped off and then forgotten for the rest of time. My first memory of a Barbie is back home in Colombia when I used to steal my cousin's Barbies so I can use Barbie as a getaway driver and use her car for my Batman figurines. So I never played with Barbies at all. I was more interested in Star Wars action figures and Transformers, but this didn't stop my mother, who so desperately wanted to have a girly daughter, from purchasing the special holiday edition Barbie every single year. I never really played with Barbie as a kid. I mostly remember just like the intense amount of parody that existed in like media. She was more often like as a brand, a butt of jokes than actually like the main character. Kelly, so now Mattel has decided to make this movie, which they think is going to revive Barbie, and they know that they've got to get it right. And you tell in this story how they went about creating this kind of make-or-break movie. Yeah, it was a fascinating process because, you know, I don't even know how many Barbie scripts have been written over the years. But this was an idea that was long, running around Hollywood, running around the company. When it really got off the ground was in 2018, Enon Kreis, who is from the entertainment world, has never worked in toys, came from a place called Maker Studios, and he also worked at Fox Kids Europe. And so he knows a lot about uh, actually creating television, content, that's his focus. And he said, we need to be an intellectual property company. We need to be in the business of managing franchises. franchises. And the opportunity was to continue to succeed in the toy business, fix that area, that that is our foundation. This is where we build an emotional relationship with our fans. And from there, once you have that in a good place, you can extend the business and grow into other verticals. That's Mattel CEO Anand Cries. And a little plug for the home team here. It's from an interview on an upcoming episode of the Bloomberg original series called The Circuit with Emily Chang. So Enon Cries, he took the lay of the land and he saw, you know, there's this script going around for Barbie. They had all sorts of different ideas for it. One had Amy Schumer attached and she was going to be, you know, it was kind of like this parody and she was kicked out of a perfect Barbie world and she goes on these zany adventures. Nobody really liked it. He didn't like it. It was making fun of the doll. It kind of made the doll the butt of the joke. It kind of replicated the whole criticism of Barbie, which is that she was always kind of not really competent and depended on men. Yeah. I also think the company didn't exactly know how to do this. They've never had a blockbuster. They've had one, like, feature film that totally bombed and did horribly called Max Steel. And so Inan said, look, I'm going to take charge of this. I'm going to start my own movie division. I'm going to have my own person run it who's, like, a very serious Hollywood player. And we're going to do it differently in the sense that we're not even going to bother these filmmakers. We're going to just let them do what they do. Even if we don't like every single thing that they say and maybe they make us look a little goofy, it's worth it to make great content because that has to be the goal. 
I guess one of the reasons that they had the confidence to do that, to go let them do their thing, is they attracted some top Hollywood talent to work on this movie. Yeah, getting the right person to run the movie division, that was a big key to getting the right talent. Enon speaks frequently with Richard Lovett. He's a co-chairman at Creative Artists Agency's very powerful Hollywood agency. And he helped get all these people in line for Mattel. One of his first orders of business is he wanted to meet Margot Robbie when he became the CEO. And within six weeks of getting to that position, he was at the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel with Margot Robbie because he saw her as a Barbie. Why? Why did he see her as a Barbie other than the obvious, which is she looks like a Barbie? She's very consistently successful. She's a successful producer. Uh, She's got her own company, Lucky Chap Entertainment, Oscar-nominated, done a wide variety of film, and also a lot of women-focused filmmaking. She's just very wide appeal to the sort of people that they want to speak to. So Mattel landed this superstar to play Barbie, really important. But then there were also the other people working on the film to actually write it and make it. That's right. Along the way, he also got Robbie Brenner to run the whole Mattel film division. And she's a very powerful Hollywood producer, probably best known for Dallas Buyers Club. We wanted to make sure that we were telling a story that felt very universal and very global. And it wasn't just for for girls or, or women, but it also appealed to men as well. And we just wanted to do something that sort of could embrace everybody. And then as Robbie Brenner and Margot Robbie were in conversations and working on the movie together, it was Margot Robbie that actually suggested you should get Greta Gerwig to do the screenplay. And she's really dominant in ton of this female coming-of-age genre. Probably best known for Lady Bird, which is, you know, somewhat autobiographical movie of her her growing up in in Sacramento, and then Little Women, which is the classic retelling of the novel of, you know, women trying to make it in this man's world. Greta, by her words, said yes pretty much right away and got her partner, um, Noah Baumbach, to sign on too. And uh, they wrote the script. They did it pretty much without interference. And then they got very attached to the script and Greta ended up becoming the director as well. And you write that the script they came up with was unlike anything they probably would have imagined they would have come up with for a Barbie movie. Yeah, the script was interesting. You know, Inanna said he didn't want something conventional, and she certainly didn't deliver something conventional. She decided, instead of making Barbie the butt of the joke, make the Mattel executives the butt of the joke and makes fun of the way they kind of managed this brand and all the circumstances that Barbie and female and little girls all face in in real life. So since this movie is in one way supposed to operate as an ad for Barbie, how did Mattel executives react when they saw this script that was kind of poking fun at them? They say they laughed really hard and they thought it was hilarious. And um, they say, you know, we're totally in on the joke. I imagine there was a little bit of humility that they had to accept with this, but they did. When we come back, Mattel goes full tilt with Barbie merchandise. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, 
The promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. When I was a kid, it was kind of a house divided. My sister loved the Barbies and I loved the Hot Wheels. So there was conflict for a while until eventually we just decided that the Hot Wheels and Barbies were friends and the Hot Wheels were sentient and they could all talk to each other. And then that was just like a weird car Barbie commune. I remember playing with Barbies growing up, especially with my older sisters. And now my nieces play with those Barbies. Barbie means so much to me because it was one of the first toys that I ever felt represented in. You always think of Barbie as this really tall woman with blonde hair and high heels and blue eyes. But actually, when I went to India for the first time as a kid, I remember picking out two Barbies that looked just like me. You know, they had hair down to their hips and they were wearing traditional Indian langas. So Kelly, they deliver this script and now they've made the movie. And it's really interesting because the movie itself operates on a lot of levels in a way that maybe you wouldn't think a silly summer movie would. Like Barbie herself is kind of a complicated character. Yeah, she really is. And, you know, this movie kind of portrays her as living in this perfect Barbie world and there's no insecurities for women. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now until forever. And, you know, it's not just Margot Robbie that plays Barbie. The whole world is full of Barbies there. And they're all different races and types of people doing different types of jobs. Issa Rae is a President Barbie. Dua Lipa's a mermaid Barbie. They have all these different types of people, but then she has this existential crisis. We don't really know what causes it, but her feet get flat, you know, unlike Barbie's classic perfectly arched feet, which are permanently in that position, and she thinks about death. You guys ever think about dying? So she kind of goes into this journey into the real world. And Margot Robbie as Barbie also has to contend with a Ken doll who is really still frozen in the past version of Ken. Oh, yeah. So Ken, who's played by Ryan Gosling, has an interesting journey because in the classic real experience of Ken, he was just meant to be an accessory to Barbie. He doesn't have a story. There's a joke in the movie. The CEO of Mattel, who's played by Will Ferrell, says, we never think about Ken, ever. He kind of tags along with her, and I think his story is a bit of a mystery, but he embodies some of these old cultural hang-ups that have plagued Barbie. They're going into a hospital, and he asked to perform an appendectomy, just one, because he's a man. Oh, I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. There he is. Doctor! Did somebody get security? So, Kelly, obviously a lot of attention to the movie, a lot of hype around the trailer, anticipation of the movie coming. But also, the merchandise is just everywhere. Yes, the marketing of the Barbie movie is on another level. It's unbelievable. 
I don't even know how much would have been spent on the overall marketing, probably as much as the $100 million budget of the actual movie. Not all of that by Mattel, a lot of that by Warner Brothers. I mean, Mattel has over 100 merchandise partners that are just doing Barbie-branded things like Barbie sweatshirts, Barbie dog hats, Barbie cocktail glasses, Barbie rugs, but also just so much stunt marketing that's been a part of this. I mean, they have this Airbnb, Barbie Dreamhouse, so many Barbie events, and they've got a real world of Barbie exhibit in LA, and you can go take your picture in a plastic Barbie case. So when we're talking about Mattel needs to create cultural moments, I would say the marketing of it is almost as important as the movie itself. And what's really interesting as you describe this is that it's trying to bring in adults into this world because a lot of that stuff is not for kids. Yeah, most of the things that I've seen in terms of the marketing aren't for kids. Very few things are for kids. There are actual dolls that are based on the Barbie characters, like there's a Margot Robbie Barbie doll, so that would be for their traditional three to eight demo. But so much of this is for adults appealing to that older group that is still associating Barbie with the old image. So this movie is a big opportunity to correct those perceptions, you know, from Mattel's point of view. And I guess rehabilitate these adults' view of Barbie to kind of make Barbie safe for their own kids? Yes. I mean, if you're a mother and you thought about how bad Barbie made you feel, I'm not going to make my daughter feel bad by giving her some perfect body that she will never attain and just making her look at it. Um, So that's what they're trying to do is to show, no, no, that's not what Barbie is anymore. Barbie's going to make your daughter feel good. And so they're trying to convince the mothers. So that's who they have to rehabilitate the image for. But also, this is about creating new revenue streams for the company. And that's a really important point because it's not just this movie that Mattel is hoping will turn itself around. It's the beginning of a huge chain of other movies that they hope can build on its success. Yeah, they're hoping that this movie serves as the blueprint for a bigger business model shift at the company. So they feel like they're already very successful at just making and marketing toys. And if you think about what success for one single Barbie movie could be, it would be to turn it into a franchise. So then you get the Ken spinoff movie, you get the Skipper TV show, you get the Barbie theme park. They already have 14 other films on different Mattel brands that they have um, in the works. And so they want to keep replicating. 14 other movies? Just announced, yeah. But, I mean, dozens more that they're, you know, developing or or working to get announced. That aren't about Barbie, but are based on other Mattel toys? Yes, by and large, based on other Mattel toys. For the most part, it's Hot Wheels, it's Matchbox Cars, it's Barney the Dinosaur, Polly Pocket, American Girl Dolls. They're going into the toy chest to try to create new franchises. How much money does Mattel hope to make off of this Barbie juggernaut? Mattel didn't put any money into the production, or only maybe a nominal amount, into the production of the film. So they don't get box office returns. They don't get ticket sales. All of their money that they make is going to be in increasing the value of the company, increasing sales overall, 
It's hard to put a number on that because I think they would probably see it as limitless. The very highest early estimate I've seen for the domestic opening weekend, three-day opening weekend in the U.S. and Canada, is $80 million. That would make it one of the biggest movies of the year, better than The Flash, better than Indiana Jones. It would be huge. It's supposed to beat Oppenheimer, which is a movie that comes out the exact same day. And I would say overall, it'll be in the hundreds of millions worldwide. So at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about how this is really big bet. Do you think that it pays off for Mattel? I think based on what I've seen, yes, it probably will pay off. They do seem to have hit the right notes with everything going viral and there being this big Barbie craze. That is what they wanted. You know, even if toy sales stay flat this year, I'd say in the coming years, they could go up just based on building off the momentum of this. And even if nobody sees the movie, they've already gotten all that attention. Kelly, are you going to see the movie? Of course I'm going to see the movie. I can't wait. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producers are Mo Barrow and Michael Falero. Rafael Amsili is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. And special thanks to our colleagues at the Bloomberg Original Series, The Circuit, with Emily Chang. And by the way, definitely check out the show. Emily gets behind the scenes with founders, influencers, and innovators. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back on Monday with another Big Take. Have a great weekend. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.